Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So I guess your grilled cheese sandwich unit uh, measurement system is beginning to catch on. Um. This uh, this message literally came in as I was setting up here in the studio to record this uh, okay. this podcast. It comes from Mandy uh, from Montana. She says, "You are not alone," and she attached a screenshot of a conversation that she had with a friend who said, "Today we asked my three year old cousin how much he weighs, and he said, uh." Like 50 squirrels. <laughs> oh, Sounds like a member of your family. Oh, I love it. That's glorious. That is glorious. When you, when you asked how tall, how many grilled cheese sandwiches tall the Eiffel Tower was, we actually had people do the math yeah. <laughs> and send in diagrams and charts of how many grilled cheese sandwiches. I was so impressed. And I uh, have been getting uh, updates from people about grilled cheese sandwiches, not just as a unit of measurement, but, you know, for lunch. One of my coworkers the other day was like, just so you know, there's this bruschetta grilled cheese sandwich at a place downtown and you have to try it. So um, I love that this has spurred a conversation not just about weights and measurements, uh, but about places that I can eat. <laughs> it all comes back to that. Yeah. Um, we had an interesting week. Uh, what with about a steak and cheese sandwich worth of water coming into our basement. Yeah, we had a quite, terrifying. Yeah, quite a storm the other night. And uh, our, our, our basement is actually finished. It's, uh, it's kind of like a separate apartment unto itself. So it's not basementy, but it is technically below the ground. Right. And, uh, and it does have a cement floor. Right. Thank goodness. Because about, yeah, two inches of water came in. That has never happened in the eight years we've lived here. Unbelievable. It was terrifying. I came home and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I hear her go, J- JG, uh, we've got about 
three grilled cheese sandwiches of water on the floor down here. No, that's not what happened at all. I approached it in a way that would enter you into the situation without yes. added stress. You said, sweetie, I love you. Whenever you say that, I know you've got bad news. It's immediately going to be followed with bad news. So anyway, we uh, we were able to survive the... Uh, the great flood of 2019. Yeah, wow. And fortunately, our studio is on the upper floor. That wasn't damaged. And uh, we are able to do our podcast. And you go first. Oh, okay. So what you got for me? Oh. All right. So um, let's talk about shrunken heads. Oh, yes. Let's do that. <laughs> oh, my God. So <laughs> when we were in Ecuador, mm-hmm. I was actually trying to find one to buy. Yeah, um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Okay, okay, go. All go, right, go. so uh, shrunken heads. They are an ancient traditional technique of uh, certain tribes of Indians from northern Peru and southern Ecuador, and they're called sansas. This is, this is the only part of the world where shrunken heads are a thing, and I didn't realize that. Uh, it's kind of interesting that we've seen shrunken heads in museums when we were in Ecuador, mm-hmm. and that's one of the only places that, uh, that you'll see them where they're actually coming from you know you'll see them all over the world but it's because they came from ecuador and peru and that's funny because hollywood always depicts it as something that comes from the deepest darkest jungles of africa right yeah it's more a south american thing well we're you know horrible people um so a shrunken head is a, a severed and specially prepared human head that is used for trophy ritual or trade purposes or just because they're they're neat um and many tribe leaders had these uh they would show them off to scare enemies so in the Shuar culture, shrunken heads or sansas are extremely religious are extremely important religious pieces as well. Shrinking the head of an enemy was believed to harness the spirit of that mm-hmm. enemy mm-hmm. and compel him to serve the shrinker. It was also uh, done in such a way that they believed that they were capturing the spirit of the enemy so that they could not avenge their own death. Right, right, right. That's what I had heard. So these tribes would go on these raids um, or to battle and uh, bring home their their heads. And then they would successfully shrink them down. And then they'd have these big celebrations to uh, celebrate mm-hmm. their their win, their victories. And, and there would be a lot of drinking. It's like a tailgate party with severed heads. Well... I always think of a tailgate party as being a before uh, an event okay, celebration. Okay, sure, sure, sure. So this is a post-event uh, celebration. Okay, okay. Same concept, different time. Exactly. Okay. All right. There's lots of drinking that goes on at these celebrations. Various accounts read gallons of beer were were consumed by by individual tribe members. Wow, gallons. Yeah, gallons. Um, and um, the... Okay, we'll we'll get back. okay. So the Shuar were one of the few groups to successfully repel and maintain their freedom from colonial rule in the late 1500s. 
1599, the Shuar killed 25,000 colonists during a revolt. And from then on, the tribe was kind of left to live as they pleased in relative isolation from the rest of the world. And they think that the shrunken heads thing was part of that intimidation, was part of that um, fear factor that they brought to the table. Um, and one of the reasons that they were left alone eventually. Yeah, I'll Be- bet. <laughs> So they've uh, they've got these shrunken heads, and uh, sometimes they're worn around the neck. Sometimes they're just carried around. Um, but it's what- kind of their version of those big fuzzy dice that would hang from the rearview mirror. <laughs> well, um, but more grotesque. It, sure, not really though. So Westerners right around the turn of the century are coming to various parts of the world that they've never come to before and seeing these neat new things. And they're creating this economic demand for shrunken heads wow. that, you know, it's one of those things that they, you know, you've never seen it before. You're on your travels. You want to bring home a souvenir mm-hmm. and what more, uh, a delightful thing to bring home to show your <laughs> suburban friends than you know, look at the shrunken head. When we were in Ecuador, I really did keep my eye open for, a shrunken head. I wanted to buy a shrunken head. Of course, I didn't hold out much hope for finding one, but we did discuss the conversation we would have with the uh, customs agents at the airport in uh, right. Quito. Yeah. 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 I have such a hard time with customs anyway. For some reason, when I get nervous around authority figures, I end up saying the worst and stupidest things. And I sometimes I can feel you looking at me like, why are you talking about this in front of these people? <laughs> They're like, do you have anything to claim? I'm like, I don't know. I have like six bags of Doritos. Is that okay? <laughs> They're different flavors than I'm used to. I'm going to bring them home. I'll probably stash them at my desk at work. Why am I still talking? I can't help it. Meanwhile, I'm putting my shoes on on the other side of yeah. the uh, security barrier. So, so during this time when the Westerners are creating this economic demand, there was actually a sharp increase in the rate of uh, killings in an effort to oh. provide tourists with more shrunken heads. You're kidding me. This also encouraged uh, the trade of counterfeit Sansas. Mm-hmm. So people in Colombia and Panama, uh, for example, unconnected to the, the tribes that originally did this, uh, were stealing corpses uh, oh. from morgues, uh, using monkeys or sloths, even sometimes goat skins to kind of create these fake shrunken mm-hmm. heads mm-hmm. Uh, to sell to, to dum-dums. And they do it to this day. Here's I, the thing, though. Oh, oh go ahead. I was just going to say, there is a company in uh, South America that creates shrunken heads out of animal hides. Mm-hmm. And I guess they use a, a small mold that looks like a human head, but they use, I think pigskin is what they use. And it looks just like a real shrunken head. It ain't cheap, though. No, no. And uh, it's hard to tell the difference. Museums, too, were subject to counterfeits. An audit that was conducted in the 1990s of the Smithsonian's collection found that only five of the 21 examined heads were authentic sunsets. No, no kidding. 
Uh, but the reason that we were unable to find any uh, for sale is because it's actually illegal. Yeah. Uh, there was a stop put to it when both Peruvian and Ecuadorian governments worked together to outlaw the traffic uh, of human heads in the 1930s. I was thinking more in terms of one of them counterfeit heads, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think I would have uh, been into buying a counterfeit head. But, you know, I want you to to enjoy yourself. and, and Thanks. And if you... If you find a counterfeit head that you want to buy, you know, we can discuss it, I suppose. Declaring it at customs would have been interesting, though. <laughs> um, yeah, what do you have? Um, I have uh, some alpaca uh, scarves. Those were nice. That, uh, um, I've got... Uh, cozy. Yeah, I've got uh, a hand-woven blanket, um, a shrunken human head, <clears throat> and some Doritos that my wife wanted me to carry on board because she was afraid she'd get caught with them. <laughs> different flavors um so the process of creating a shrunken head it of course uh, starts with removing the skull from the neck uh, an incision is made on the back of the ear and all the skin and flesh is removed from the mm. cranium entirely mm. then uh, a sort of specific kind of seed is placed underneath the nostrils and the lips are sewn shut the mouth is held together with palm pins and fat from the flesh of the head is removed. Then a wooden ball is placed under the flesh in order to keep the form, mm -hmm. and the flesh is boiled in water that's been saturated with a number of herbs containing tannins. The head is then dried on hot rocks and sand, and uh, they continue to mold it to retain its human features, then rubbed down with charcoal ash. Hmm. Uh, decorative beads may be added to the head. In the head shrinking tradition it's believed that the ash that's used on the skin keeps the avenging soul from getting out and that's one of the reasons that the the mouth is sewn shut as well uh, it's to keep the 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 soul from being able to speak out to avenge itself that's fascinating Shrunken heads are known for their uh, facial distortion and the shrinkage of the lateral sides of the forehead. And these are actually, the distortion is actually one of the ways that they're able to tell the fakes from the realies. Oh. And uh, indications of counterfeit senses are characterized by looking for nasal hairs, which is a notable distinction between identifying authentic heads and non-human replicas. In well, the, the authentic ones would have nasal hair. Or uh, human nasal hair. R okay, gotcha. Um, <clears throat> in addition to this, it's also quite difficult to duplicate a shrunken human ear. The ear mm. should remain in its original form only smaller, and fakes generally can't match the intricate details of the human ear because it's got so many little, little, little specific things. nuggets yeah. to it. Right. So in the 1930s, the Ecuadorian and Peruvian governments both said, "Listen, we're not gonna we're not gonna allow the the selling or the trade of these heads anymore uh, because people are being killed to you know to to get them, and that's not that's not cool." No, even though it's supply and demand, right? But as we know, supply and demand does not equal you know severing heads. Goodness. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. That's right. That is accurate. And now I'm wondering. The, the shrunken heads that we saw in Ecuador, are those authentic? Do, do we, I mean, is there any, how do we know? 
That's a good point. And really the closest we came to bringing a shrunken head home is uh, on our our refrigerator. Um, we have a, a refrigerator magnet from uh, Pumapungo Museum in uh, Cuenca that has a picture of a shrunken head on it. That's, that is there at that museum. Um, we also have a tiny little uh, sculpted skull that we bought at the Extreme Art Museum in Cuenca which lives on top of our Amazon Echo. That's right. We, we, it's a place of honor. <laughs> so that's how shrunken heads are made. The process, um, as we mentioned, you know, it's a whole ceremony and a part of a celebration. There's a little bit of a debate about what happens after the big celebration. So we've had this, uh, whatever it is, this raid that was successful. We sure. bring home our heads. We have our shrunken heads. My guess is after several gallons of beer, there would be a lot of throwing up and peeing. Sure, sure. Uh, probably, at the same t- probably at the same time. Sometimes. Sometimes that happens. It does. When you've got pressure in the middle, mm. things will shoot out whichever way they can. It's happened. It has happened. So... After this big celebration, Mm. what happens then? Well, there is some debate about what traditionally is to be done with these heads. And uh, there are some tribes that would give the heads to the kids to play with. Like that was their their toy after... The kids of the guy's head? No, the kids... Because that'd be cruel. Within the tribe. That'd be the shittiest Christmas ever. You wouldn't steal a policeman's hat. (laughs) Um. (laughs) (coughs) oh my god people are going to think the only thing we ever watch on tv are british tv shows that's an obscure reference to a show called snuffbox no that was the it crowd was that it crowd yeah okay all right yeah (laughs) so uh what was i saying oh yes okay so Sometimes the kids would end up with them. There's those that believe that the the tribes held on to them in the event that they wanted to use them for trade. Uh, but then there are some tribes that just discarded them. You know, once their their celebration period had ended, they were like, "Meh, we don't need this anymore because what's what needed to be done was already done." Okay. And so uh, sometimes they were just tossed out uh, <laughs> with the the bin. That's it. Which seems... Just ends up in the garage with old badminton rackets. (laughs) (laughs) And a shovel. Y'all need Maria Kondo in your life. (laughs) Put it in a box with the other ones. Anyway, uh, so that's Shrunken Heads. Nice. Yeah. I still want one, by the way. Well. I mean, not a real one. That'd be weird. I don't know. I'd rather have a real one than a fake one. Really? Yes. I don't understand the purpose of a fake one. Well, I guess it would be just a sort of, it's like my fruit littering, you know? When I throw an apple core in the road, mm-hmm. I get that adrenaline rush of, of littering, but I'm actually I'm, I'm feeding the environment. Right, but we've know? actually talked about this since then because we got a message uh, from a listener who said that fruit littering encourages animals to come toward the road yeah. and, and makes things dangerous for at, them. At so. the same time, that person did not say to stop. He said, just, you know, give it a good chuck. Well, I suppose... I've seen you throw, though. I have an arm. Well, you have two arms. They're just not real great. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I played baseball in high school. Not very well, but I did play baseball in high school. All right. 
<clears throat> there you go. Halfway through and you're still awake? It must be time for That Thing in the Middle. Today, some of the strangest patents ever approved by the United States Patent Office. Number five, bird diaper. Yep, a bird diaper features an enclosed pouch for receiving and containing excrement and apertures to accommodate both wings and the tail of the bird. As someone who has cohabitated with an African gray parrot, mm -hmm. I can appreciate this <laughs> because after their poop hits the ground, it turns into cement. It does. Plus, that bird ate your furniture. It actually ate a family heirloom cedar blanket chest. Well, yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with his poop. No, I just... I don't like birds. One of my favorite stories is one of the first times that you came over to like spend time with me at my apartment. Um, Lupang snuck out of his cage, um, scootled his way into the living room, <laughs> up the back of the couch, and then started attacking the back of your head yeah. while we sat there watching television. Unbeknownst to me. Mm -hmm. So quiet, so stealthy. Number four, the anti-eating face mask. <laughs> It's that. So if you're not good at dieting, uh -huh. uh, the mouth cage is a solution for you. That sounds like a medieval torture device. It really does. It's because it is. It's horrible. It's designed to let you breathe and speak, but not eat due to the food barrier that's mounted on your face. It's like a chastity belt for the head. It looks like one of the face hugger aliens. Gross. Number three, cheese filtered cigarettes. But if you're looking for a new smoking experience, perhaps a flavorful, flavorful cheese cheese-filtered cigarettes, according to its inventor. What? Current cigarette filters, in 1966, this is when that was patented, don't filter enough tar and nicotine from tobacco smoke, so he discovered a new one. Cheese! Oh, no. It makes a very efficient tobacco filter. Number two, the motorized ice cream cone. <laughs> this is a novelty amusement eating receptacle for supporting, rotating, and sculpting a portion of ice cream. Who wants the hassle of having to, like, turn the cone sure. and move your face? Ugh. And number one, the amusement urinal. Okay, here's the idea. It's a urinal with amusement features. Is there a patent on this? Because I believe I came up with this idea about 10 years ago. There is a patent on it, yes. It. It's like one of those carnival games uh, where you race the horse by shooting the water sure, at yeah. the... yeah. It's like shooting uh, water in the clown's mouth. Yeah. Yeah, at a carnival. Yeah, it's very much like that. Um... Urine is detected by pressure or temperature sensors. There are 12 of them sending an electrical single signal to a control. Uh, this activates a loudspeaker and video screen to provide audio and visual signals. So, say you want to catch up on uh, Haunting of Hill House. Uh, you can do so at the bar while you're peeing as long as you've got to go really bad. Because the longer you pee, the more the screen stays on. I love that idea. I like it a lot. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. So, you know, when you're when you're looking at pictures that were taken by paparazzi of, like, Hollywood celebrities mm -hmm. and stuff like that... I think to myself, they should leave those poor people alone. And then you think, God, those people look good. They look so good. It looks like they just kind of pulled those outfits together on their own, but no... They have a stylist. They have a personal stylist to make that happen. Now you can have one, too, and it won't cost you 11 bajillion dollars like it does in Hollywood. Yeah, Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. Go to stitchfix.com slash box and you tell them your sizes. 
You can tell them uh, different styles you like, tell them how much you want to spend, what your budget is, and they will pair you with your very own personal stylist who will handpick five items and send them right to your door. So you try them on Mm -hmm. in your home. Uh, where you are comfortable and the mirrors do not lie to you. And then uh, you 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 pick what you like and return the rest. Uh, shipping exchanges and returns are always free. And it's amazing because in your house, you can try them on with other items of clothes that you own. Like sure. I hate it when I go to the store and I try on a, a top, but maybe it, these aren't the pants that this top should work with. Exactly. So I can't tell... It happens to me all the time, especially with boots. I'm like, okay, well, I wouldn't be wearing these boots with these pants. So how do I even... Mm-hmm. I don't... Uh. You don't have to worry about that. No, because sti- you've got all your stuff right there. You're in your house. Stitch Fix takes care of it for you. There is no subscription required. So you just sign up to receive your scheduled shipments when you want them. Get your fix whenever you want. And the styling fee is only $20. And then they apply that $20 toward anything you keep from your shipment. Get started now at stitchfix.com slash box and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. Stitchfix.com slash box. Get started today. Stitchfix.com slash box. Look as good as them folk in Hollywood. Probably better. Probably better. Because they're all on heroin. The podcast world is growing bigger every day, and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's Tip Jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and we're adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya. That's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A. And don't forget to follow the Box of Oddities while once you're there. Like finding a box of human remains in your attic, but without all those nagging detectives and reporters at your door. This is the Box of Oddities. Oh, um, I had a quick question for you. Mm-hmm. What you got for me? Oh, oh, well, here's what I have for you. Uh, last July, July 2018, in the Egyptian city of Alexandria, which of course has just an amazing history. Uh-huh. Archaeologists were just kind of poking about. As they do. Uh-huh. And they found, they were digging down and they found uh, an alabaster statue of a man's head. And then a little bit deeper, about 16 feet down, they discovered a black granite coffin, like a, like a giant sarcophagus. It was nine feet long, five feet wide, six feet deep, and they think it came from the uh, Ptolemaic period, which was 320 to 330 BC. So in terms of antiquity, not as old as a lot of mummy sarcophaguses, but still a couple thousand years old. It was 16 feet below the ground. It was the largest sarcophagus ever discovered in Alexandria. I imagine if you come across something like that, the sheer size of it's got to be a bit overwhelming. So the more you dig, the more you're like, what is this that I am uncovering? (gasps) Yeah, they they estimated the weight of it to be 60,000 pounds, according to National Geographic. 60,000 pounds? 60,000 pounds. And one of the reasons was that, you know, the size, it was oversized for a sarcophagus, but it had a matching lid on the top of it, which was all granite, black granite, beautifully hewn, by the way. And it was mortared in place. 
So that added so much more weight to it. Sure. And according to uh, the New York Post, the fact that it was mortared in place still suggested that the uh, giant black sarcophagus had not been opened since it was closed 2,000 years ago. Whoa. According to the Ministry of Equities, they believe that to be true. Which is so unusual because there are so many... Grave robbers. Well, I didn't want to use the word, the term because, it. I mean, that's exactly what it is, but... Amateur archaeologists. Let's go with that. Yeah, <laughs> let's go with that. Okay, yeah, that's true. So because of the immensity of the sarcophagus, and again, it weighed about 60,000 pounds. What weighs 60,000 pounds? It's about four and a half times as heavy as an elephant. That puts it in perspective. All right, well, since it weighed about four and a half times that of an elephant. Archaeologists, of course, faced an incredible challenge to get this thing out of a 16-foot pit. How are they going to do this? Sure. The first plan, according to Egypt Today, was to lift the entire sealed sarcophagus out using winches and pulleys and a, a tow truck. They were going to hook it up to some chains and belts and stuff sure. and then bring it over a, the top of a beam and then, you know, pull it with a tow truck. That didn't work. No. The truck tipped over. Yeah, I would think just digging it out would be the the easiest choice. Like like to to dig a pit down like yes. a, like a road down into yes. it and yeah, well that that probably would have been ultimately what they decided upon if the second thing didn't work, which okay. was to break the sarcophagus's mortar seal and lift the lid to eliminate some of the weight uh -huh. and then pull it out. It sounds more it sounds less to me like uh, the clever way to distribute the weight and more a way to look inside. Well, when they were considering this, it got out. Word got out they were thinking about opening it up. And so immediately people are starting to worry about, you know, curses. Absolutely. You know, yeah. that's going to happen. Curses, diseases. Twitter just blew up. A guy named David Milner wrote, As a fan of Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, I say, don't open the cursed sarcophagus. But as someone who saw Tom Cruise's The Mummy, I say, do it. We all deserve to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that pleases me. Dan Hodges wrote on Twitter, Okay, just before everyone gets too carried away, a giant black sarcophagus has been unearthed in Egypt. Scientists haven't got a clue what's inside of it, so we should just open it, right? We've all seen the films. What's the worst that could happen? Matthew Garrett uh, started a survey. Opening the sarcophagus will make 2018 A, better, B, worse. Better, 73%, worse, 27. Gurion to the dog wrote, 2012, oh no, Mayan calendar says the world might end and we could all die. 2018, please let the black Egyptian sarcophagus carry a curse that will collectively put us all out of our misery. <laughs> <laughs> So they opened it up. Of course. Yep, they opened it up. They broke the seal. It was early in the morning. Usually when I break the seal, it's very late at night. Well, sure. That's because you're responsible. Thanks. After the mortar seal was broken, the lid was removed, revealing, surprisingly, three mummies inside. Decomposed, according to the Secretary General of the Supreme Council of Antiquities, uh, who spoke with uh, Egypt Today. Quote, the sarcophagus has been opened but we have not been hit by a curse. That you know of. Kind of soon to start throwing that out there. Yeah. I mean. He declared that boldly. He was directly addressing, of course, the internet memes that suggested that uh, that box was, was going to be the end of all humanity. 
and release a plague upon the earth. He went on to say, thank God the world has not fallen into darkness after opening this sarcophagus. I was the first to put my whole head inside the sarcophagus, and here I stand before you. I am fine. So there was no curse, but what they did find inside, along with the decomposed mummies, actually they were more just skeletal remains. They were floating in a crimson sewage-like substance. What? They had determined that the bodies were the men of, I guess, a couple of guys and one woman. They were stacked on top of each other. Uh, the skeletons were from, uh, again, the uh, Ptolemaic period. This doesn't sound like a, um, I don't know, a, uh, what's the word? Uh, like a, a gentle, respectful way to dispose of people. Is it, was that, was that a good thing? Are you getting to I it? No. It wasn't disrespectful. They were in this beautifully hand-hewn black granite, polished black granite sarcophagus. Maybe it was like a family thing, I don't know, or some kind of weird Egyptian post-mortem menage a trois. I don't know, that sounds to me like if I'm going to bury some people just stacked on top of each other in some sort of weird crimson sewage sludge, uh, probably as people I didn't like very much. <laughs> well, the sewage sludge was not put in there at the time of burial. It oh, leaked in. From the, the city of Alexandria? Yes. Oh, no. Yeah, it was down 16 feet and over the millennia. Sewage and uh, just wa- stormwater runoff and stuff like that had leaked in to the sarcophagus, which caused the mummies to deteriorate and decompose, creating a combination of body juice, and raw sewage Mm. inside the sarcophagus. One of the skeletons had a 17 millimeter wide hole in the skull, which indicated the person had gone under some sort of uh, surgery. To relieve the pressure from all the sewage in his head? Maybe. Uh, Dr. Zinab Harish, director of the Department of Skeleton Remain Studies at the Ministry of Antiquities, believes... (laughs) the best title ever. (laughs) Yeah. He believes it was uh, trepanation, which involves drilling holes in, um, in in skulls to relieve pressure. That was kind of what they did in the day. You had a headache, we'll, we'll poke a hole in your head. That type of surgery is the oldest surgical intervention known since prehistory. But interestingly enough, it was it was somewhat rare in Egypt. Okay. It was performed for religious and medical purposes and to treat ailments such as headaches or even hypertension. Now, let's get to the red liquid. Researchers agree it's a uh, contamination from sewage water, mm. which is so potent that it rotted the wrappings off the mummies sure. and then the mummies. Yeah. And there's a picture of it right there. That's what it looks like. Oh, I bet that smelled horrible. Yeah, I can only imagine how horrible that smells. But there has been a mummy juice petition posted on change.org by a man named Enos McKendrick of Guilford, Surrey, England. He wants that liquid because he wants to put it in a energy drink and sell it. But it's... And people are clamoring. What? To drink contaminated uh, mummy juice. It's not... It's the mummy juice uh, petition. Stop it. Now, this guy, McKendrick, he, uh, he develops video games. He produces video games. He is imploring, quote, the king of skeletons in Egypt to allow people to drink this red liquid from the cursed dark sarcophagus in the form of some sort of carbonated energy drink so we can, quote, assume its powers and finally die. And 34,298 people have signed the petition in hopes to make it happen. And that number 
grows daily. Sure. I mean, I've signed some petitions, too, that that maybe weren't things that I was actually in support of. But Uh ironically, um, maybe that's something that we should all take a look at. Should we stop ironically signing petitions? Maybe. Maybe. He was asked why he wanted to drink the uh, mummy juice, and (laughs) and he told uh, the Metro... Many felt let down when the dark and extremely cursed sarcophagus was pried open to reveal only skeletons drenched in raw sewage, which is weird because skeletons are inherently pretty awesome. However, I stand true to the hope we were promised and deeply believe that by consuming the skeleton juice in the form of a carbonated high-caffeine energy drink, that we can still have the opportunity to enter an era of unending darkness and despair." I'm so glad to see others backing the petition and sharing in my mission to rapidly bring about the end of all things. It does sound like a video game. It, yeah, this guy produces yeah. video games. Yeah. Meanwhile, the, uh, the petition gets uh, lots of support. It's unclear whether people actually are planning on drinking it themselves or they just want to watch other people drink it. Sure. One guy wrote, yum, yum, mystical mummy powers in my tum-tum. <laughs> Other people also believe that consuming certain liquids will make them stronger right. and more powerful. Sure. Like uh, there was this Hungarian boxer. Uh-huh. His name was uh, Alexander Horvath, I think. He announced he was drinking snake blood prior to a match with, uh, uh, what was that guy's name? I can't pronounce this name. Vijender Singh, it looks like. Fresh snake blood is, du- is used in some areas of the Central European country because of its alleged powers. No, stop it. Snakes need that. Horvath is quoted as saying, Like my forefathers before me, I am a true warrior and will stop at nothing to get my victory. Hungarian soldiers drank snake blood to defeat the Turks all those years ago, and now I'm drinking it to defeat Singh. The blood of these sacred animals makes me powerful beyond words. And so there are those who think that, hey, if a snake's blood is going to make me win a boxing match, what happens if I drink mummy juice? It's feces. (laughs) That's not, you can't, it's not, you're not going to. No, drinking raw sewage and decomposed mummy juice is not going to help you in any way. Even if, okay, listen. If you want to drink mummy juice, that's fine. I have nothing against the mummy juice. If it were mummies soaked in uh, delicious bubbly water, mm-hmm. great. Have at it. But it's sewage. It is sewage. It's mummies soaked in sewage. Right. It's not the mummies. Yeah. It's the sewage. It's the sewage and the mummies. The mummy thing I kind of think of as like being tea. Okay, fine. You you steep the mummies for a little while, and then uh-huh. you've got a, a flavored then, okay. beverage. Sure. But there's sewage in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. where the, the my real issue comes and in. And it's probably sewage from people that have been dead for centuries and in there as well. Yeah, I guess that makes it better for me. Okay. I don't know. What would you name that drink? Dysentery. <laughs> That's a perfect one. New high-energy dysentery. <laughs> sports. Oh, sports. So there you go. Mummy juice. Mm. Wow. Make sure you finish yours. <sighs> hey, I hope you can make our live show in uh, Nashville. That's going to be the 27th of February. We're coming right up on it. Listen, we got a message the other day saying, I can't help but uh, 
every time you mention your live show coming up in Nashville, I think, why? Why Nashville? Why not come to someplace warm like Florida, uh, which, by the way, is where they live? And uh, I just want to express, we're going to Nashville because they invited us. Right. It's not like we, we were like, this is the place that we're going because it's the ultimate in, you know, we're super excited about being in Nashville. I've never been. I'm jazzed AF. Um, But we're going because they invited us. Right. So if you uh, want us to come and visit your local uh, venue, ask them to invite us. (laughs) That that would be a good start because we don't have a tour manager. No, that's that's the only way that we can do things is for people to say, come and do things. Yeah. So invite us and maybe we'll come. Curator at theboxofoddities.com is our email address. We're available on all the major social media plats. It's where you can send your invitations. Yeah, you can do that there. <laughs> Box of Oddities twice a week. We'll see you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful, beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.